on a small, tiny, doesn't matter at all detail. I chuckled a bit when on Yumi's planet, they talked about just cooking food on the ground. Like when you want to go cook your, your eggs for the morning, you just go set them on the ground because the ground's hot. And I, I chuckled because I just did the exact same thing in Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom the other day when I was walking through the, um, the mountainous lava area and dropped some eggs on the ground and cooked them. And it worked beautifully. I just thought of that. I live in Texas. Um, I know people who've baked cookies in the dashboard of their car. So, have you ever fried an egg on your <laughs> anything uh, is possible? Yeah, you could definitely do it. You could definitely do it. Yeah. Terrifying. Anyways, all right. Should we talk about language? The use of some certain language by uh, some certain people. So. Yumi uses the term Nimi as an honorific and calls what's her face? I don't remember her name, but she calls her Warden Nimi. And this is this was the thing that stuck out to me immediately last year when we read this. I was like, that is so cool. Um and he's and Hoyd as the narrator uses some interesting terms to for who he's talking to. Um, he uses the term Vaden and Alethi. He uses... Does he use Scadriel by name? Yes. He uses Roshar by name. Um, and he uses uh, Chols. He, like, th th there's several terms that he uses. And Elliot, you were talking about this a little earlier about like photons and electricity. It, he he name drops those things as if his audience would recognize them. So there's there's a couple different, but but the nuance here is Yumi is using the word Nimi, not Hoid. Um, and I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that before I bring up what Sa what Sanderson talked about in his live stream about it. So, what well, what are you guys' thoughts on this? So I, I have to say this stuck out to me as well. Like I noticed it almost right away. And so naturally, I have to just naturally connect the dots between Yumi and at least some capacity on Roshar. We see Nimi used most by Zeth, right? Who is, oh gosh, uh, Shin. Shin from Shinovar. I almost said Col Colinar, but nope. Sh from Shinovar. And so. Light, we haven't seen much of Shinovar, but looking at like some general similarities between the two groups of people, like not not too far fetched. They're both very like, I guess, religious, uh, centered around, I don't know, ritual, respect, all all these different things. And so I I just couldn't help but compare that like. Are these the same group of people? Is this related? Do they know each other? Like, where, where did Nimi, the expression of Nimi, come from? Because obviously there's some kind of similar connection there. Just a whole bucket of questions, but no, no answers right now. I'm torn on this. And when we talked about this a year ago, we, we actually spun a couple of theories about this. But now that I've read it again and had time to think about it, I I don't know the the time. Where are we on the time timeline? That's what's throwing me. Yeah, is if if this was before Stormlight, I could spin some theories about world hoppers in the future feeding this down to the Shin and Zeth. And I suppose it would could work the other way as well. I guess is the the Shin could over the years be the culture that feeds into this culture so we could be like many thousands of years in the future or something like that perhaps i don't know i'm almost kind of hesitant now at this point to to try and make any direct ties so here is what brandon sanderson said on his live stream he he very much made the distinction between hoyd's voice and yumi's voice that Hoyd is using terms that his audience is familiar with, um, and that also applies to to Nimi. So he is interpreting what Yumi said for his audience, 
and using the term Nimi is what he said. And then, and then he said, but there's something more there. Specifically with the word Nimi, he, he put that in there intentionally for us to draw connections between Shin and Yumi's planet. He, he said that that one specifically, there's, there's a little bit more there. Um, but as far as um, the, the rest of the terms, that Hoyt is simply using terms that his audience, whoever he's talking to, is familiar with. Right. He also said, and this is rather frustrating to me, I, and I hope we get this resolved at some point, he said that there is no epilogue to, or, or synopsis, short story, whatever, where we get to find out who Hoyt is telling the story to. We, we never get to know. And he specifically says, don't waste your time trying to figure it out because you won't be able to. And I was like, why would you set up a story like this and specifically use terms that we're on the lookout for and then tell us, I mean, obviously he's trying to save us time and sit and tell us, don't, don't look for this. It's not in the epilogue. But I really wish it was. I really wish we could find out who Hoyt is, uh, who Hoyt is sitting here talking to. What what if what if the audience the the receiver of the story is meant to be like as far in the future in the Cosmere as possible? Like he just wants an excuse to use all the references he can. So it's kind of a assume generic knows everything person audience after all these accounts after all these events has happened, just so that he can reference every single other thing in it in the time of the narration of this necessarily the story that we're we're seeing right maybe that i that would be fun if we could learn who he's talking to zeth maybe but my guess is sigzil actually um that would be my guess but if i had to put but, but i have no idea world hopper zeth after he defeats odium and saves all of roshar that's who the audience is. Maybe he's talking to uh, Waldo, our our world hopping contra. Mm. Ooh, I'm I'm, I'm uh, the world hopping Zeth idea is my dream come true, but we don't know about that. Not yet. All right. Do Do you guys want to talk about the or chapter seven specifically? Or do we have more to talk about here? Don't think so. I'm trying to scan through the notes because we kind of jumped all around. Mm -hmm. Making sure we didn't miss anything. The, there's several more have stuff. One thing in the notes about. Go yeah. Ahead. Maybe just real quickly before we jump into the final kind of section of this, I wrote in the notes perpendicularity with a question mark. Okay. Like, could could painter's planet have something going on with a perpendicularity there where the nightmares are trying to cross over from cognitive realm into physical realm i couldn't quite put enough pieces together to come up with a theory there but i wondered if you guys could maybe interesting maybe i didn't more i didn't even consider where a perpendicularity might be that is a really good point do we have any idea what there's no mention of a shard necessarily on Yumi's planet, is there? No. Virtuosity on Painter's planet, and I don't know how connected they are. Right. Could there be investiture from Virtuosity on both planets, or probably just on Painter's planet would be my assumption. But. Yeah, I don't know. I think we might need some more information for that one, but. I'm penciling that down as keep an eye out for where or what might be going on here as far as travel into and out of the cognitive realm, if that's even happening. Yeah. Your approach is very different to, my, to mine, Elias. <laughs> you're, you, the questions you're asking are very different than mine. It's very interesting. Um, so something... figure out what's going on here. 
something else that I wanted to highlight real quick was some of the lore and the myth behind and the folk tales that Painter tells the audience um, on how the nightmares came about and stuff like that. And Hoyt tells whoever he's speaking to that we're close to where Virtuosity splintered herself, so maybe this has something to do with it. But some of the quotes that Painter tells about, like, have, have been passed down about when the nightmares came, it was 17 centuries ago, so 1,700 years, and there's a there's a primary source that says, I watched it rain the blood of a dying god, which I think is very interesting use of words. And then there's there's two other ones. Elliot, do you have in, do you have it in front of you? Do you know the other two quotes that he comes up with? Should be should be uh, right no, after that. In a second, I can probably find it. I I just found it. Um. So the the first quote is: "I watched it rain the blood of a dying god." One account read: "I crawled through tar that took the faces of the people I had loved. It took them, and their blood became black ink." The next one says: "Grandfather spoke of the nightmares." Another woman had written years later. He doesn't know why he, he was spared. He stares at nothing when he speaks of those days, spent crawling in the darkness, that terror from the sky, until he found another voice. They met and huddled, weeping together, clinging to one another. Though they had never met before that day, they were suddenly brothers, because they were real. And then this one, which I, painter, find the most unnerving, it will take me, it creeps under the barrier. It knows I am here. That one was found painted on the wall of a cave roughly a hundred years later. No bones were ever located. I have the feeling I was reading death rattles. <laughs> yeah, like... that's exactly what I was thinking. It's it's so cryptic. It, it's I've actually been kind of wrestling with how much can I dig into this given the amount of information provided at this right. state. Because we've had, what, three Yubi chapters, four Painter chapters? Yeah. The A phrase that I wanted to highlight again that I didn't really catch before was, I crawled through tar that took the faces of the people I had loved. What does that sound like to you guys? Fresh off of Mistborn, it sounds like a, like a Mistwraith. Oh. Or a Chondra, like literally taking the faces of of people that 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 you love i was i was gonna go with ray shafir that's that's what i was thinking trevor there's lots of things there's lots of depictions descriptions sorry that remind Um, me of ray shafir uh ray shafir is it with an f or a p p okay Rish, uh, okay, so between the two. Yes, both. Uh, Ray Shafir, yes. Um, there's lots of descriptions that sound like Ray Shafir throughout a lot of this. There, There's descriptions of, what is it, uh, smoke and shadow are a lot of the words used. and It just feels very reminiscent of that. And so I, I can't shake that. With, with almost all the descriptions on, on Painter's Planet, but I don't know how to actually connect those dots. Do you guys want to hear some of the questions surrounding these with the Q&A? Definitely. Okay, so there's some good ones. Um, let me... Oh, so one of the questions was, the nightmares are described as deep black that evaporates to smoke. I can think of a certain black sword that has similar similar characteristics. Is that a coincidence? And Brandon Sanderson's reply was, with a smirk, that is not a coincidence. And another one that I didn't write, but I can I try to paraphrase for you. They um the the question was, are nightmares directly related to Midnight Essence? And Brandon Sanderson said, essentially, yes, that there's certain there's things that are happening that are very specific to 
the rules of Midnight Essence and um, how they operate. So we've we've theorized many times about that black sword, right? And one of the theories I've clung to is a concept of like negative investiture mm-hmm. of some sort. If if you want to go down that line and then try and draw some parallels to this world, could our nightmares be, yeah, some kind of embodiment of that dark investiture or inverse oh. investiture or something like that? And I'm even thinking about our like metabolism line of thought too. Like Lyft metabolizes food, a positive thing, into a positive force investiture, stormlight-ish. What if what if nightmares are like a negative version of that, and these nightmares can metabolize fear as a negative force that feeds inverse investiture, something along those lines? It just made me circle back to the to what Brandon Sanderson said that he was confident that Painter was or he he was telling us that Painter was not using investiture. What if he's so oh. confident in that because there's no investiture present on the planet? Yeah. So then that begs the question, yeah. what are the Heon lines and why do they push back yeah. the the shroud? What is happening there? That is that is my big question. I, I've wondered about those for a while. Cause I'm like, if it is investiture, it seems neat in style but kind of lame you know like unless <laughs> i'm sure there's more use to them than if it was investiture i'm sure there's more use to them than we've seen in the first couple chapters of this but that's a good that's actually a really curious point i, I don't i could i could kind of see it there being no investiture whatsoever but but we know that there was a shard so doesn't there have to be investiture or is that not necessarily true I don't know. Somewhat related to this, I I'm really curious to understand more about the Heon lines and how much power the humans have over said Heon lines because that that there's a there's a brief descriptor of they're they're above the city. There's no telephone poles or wires or anything holding them up. They're just there. And then as you get to the outskirts of the city, they get like, like right in the middle of the city, they're, they they say they're the width of an arm. Like uh, they're, they're two inches in diameter, diameter. They're, it's a cable. And then as you get closer to the outside, they get smaller. Um, And I'm wondering, is that, is that because they changed the Heon lines to be so or is that just how far they went because that's how far the Heon lines went I'm very curious about the Heon as well and you know what's the source right of these Heon lines it it seems logical that if they if they start thick and strong and they kind of wane as they uh, as they go outwards and they get less and less powerful well that seems to imply to me that there's kind of a source of this somewhere and the further away you get from the source you're losing power what's the source I have, I have another question related kind of to the heon and stormlight that's going to in a roundabout way bring us into void and design in their little restaurant that they have okay one question i have about investiture specifically in the restaurant what was the name of this restaurant the noodle pupil the noodle noodle pupil it's like a tongue twister right there Hoyd shares that he is light weaving a figure, a form for design, the, the, this figure of a woman, so that she can run this restaurant. What is he powering that light weaving on? Where is he getting the investiture for that? Does he have a crap ton of investiture that he just has with him? It almost seems to imply to me, maybe even confirm, that there has to be investiture here somehow. 
that he's tapping into? Is it the Heon lines? Can he just tap directly into those and fuel his light weaving that way? So to answer your question, Elliot, if he's not tapping directly into the Heon lines, which we, uh, I would assume is investiture. I, I don't know how the mechanics of fighting against the shroud, whatever that, whatever that's happening. If he's not tapping straight into the Heon, the most the, the the two most portable forms of investiture that we know of right now are Stormlight, which is the whole side quest of um, the Ghostbloods trying to get Stormlight off of Roshar. And has that happened at this point? Um, and is that how he's powering said Lightwing? Or um, Breaths is the ne- going to be the next most portable form of investiture to me. Then the second question is, can you power a light weaving with breaths? Right. That would be my guess as to what's happening if he is not pulling investiture, if he's not plugged into the outlet, right? Which may just be the simple, simplest explanation there is he can tap into the, yeah, electricity essentially running through the entire city and just do that. But apparently he can do that while being a coat rack, which apparently is what he is. Yes. He's, he, he claims that he's frozen in time. And there's an interesting, there's an interesting line that we had to talk about before we even went live tonight, that as Hoyt is talking to his audience, he, he has this phrase that he says, and now that Painter was here, I could open my eyes, or I could see, or something like that. And I put that in the outline, and Elliot, as he was filling out the outline, read that and was like, what? <laughs> that was not in the written. So Elliot, do, do you have what it says in the in the write-up? Yeah, we had to do a little bit of investigation here because I just tried to search for what you typed in there and it wasn't coming up anywhere in the the writing on the website. But here's what the the text on his website says. With Painter there, I could see what was happening. So I'll admit to some pride regarding the way Painter's eyes follow design. When you played, you had to pull back up the audio because that sentence is like completely restructured grammatically when Brandon reads it on YouTube. But it's kind of all the same words almost. Right. But when I read the text version, I didn't think anything of that. But the words in the order that they're in, in the way he reads them, seems to potentially imply something more. Right. I think is what you might be getting at. Uh, so when I when I listened to that, and I, I did not pick this up at all last year when we covered this, but when Painter walks in the room, Brandon Sanderson says, quote, now that Painter was here, I was able to see what was happening. And that's Hoy talking. And I, I'm so confused. Well, why and who, what are the mechanics of that? And what does Painter have to do with it? Because there seems to be you know, a magic implication there of Painter needing to be present for Hoyd to be able to see what's going on around him. So that's that's a that's very strange. It it definitely does it there could be some weird things going on here. What yeah, why is Painter different? Why is he different than any of the other painters that are all there in the same restaurant? I guess even with the wording that is in the Brandon breeding I'm not sure that I place as much significance on it. That what they're talking about here, what Hoyt is talking about, is the pride that he feels in the beauty and attractiveness that he's given to design. He's he's proud of the fact that Painter can't take his eyes off design because de- design is so beautiful. I kind of just read this as because Painter is obvious in his staring at design, Hoyt notices this. Okay. I'm not sure I read anything too big into this, but it is very specifically called out. And there's lots of other young folks in this place that I'm sure Painter's not the only one, you know, glancing at the the attractive barmaid sort of thing. I don't know. 
Which Maybe. way do you lean, Paul? Is this a hidden one-liner, Is or am I overthinking this? I mean, personally, I think it's overthought a bit okay. for this line. But, I don't know. The The thing is, the thing is, I feel like every time I think that, it is not. Like, I, I, I feel like I am very <laughs> wrong. You know, our uh, shout-out today was for sometimes right, mm-hmm. right? And uh, sometimes I think I'm right, but on these predictions, I feel like what, what I dig out is like, ooh, I think this is going to be something that's going to come up and be really big down the line. It's usually not, and I think vice versa. So maybe maybe that's encouraging for your case that I disagree with you. I don't know. Well, we'll see. Well, when the published version comes out next week, this will be the first thing I go and, and, and look at. So I will update you. Um. There's there's a couple more things in the Q and A that I want to highlight real quick. Hoyd refers to himself as a renowned interdimensional storyteller in all in capital letters. And he was uh, Brandon Sanderson was asked on the uh on the Q and A. Does that imply? Does that just mean cognitive, spiritual, physical, or does the does that imply something more? And Brandon Sanderson was very quick to say, nope, that's exactly what it means. Cognitive, physical, spiritual. There's, he is not implying time travel or a multiverse or something like that. That those are the two golden rules um, for Sanderson in the Cosmere is there's no multiverse and there's no time travel to the past was his, um, was his clarification. And I assume he's just holding that clarification, meaning, you, you know, if you travel really fast, you can time travel to the future that where that's feasibly possible as far as we know. Um, but anyway, I just wanted to, to highlight that. There's also other kind of like time travel concepts you could think of that are feasible. Like if you could cryogenically store your body and mind and kind of freeze yourself and then wake up a hundred years later from your perspective, get time traveled right. years in the future. He could be allowing for that kind of stuff. I, I actually really like the fact that he's explicitly telling us that those are not part of his universe. Right. Because time travel is very cool if it's done well, if if it is, you know, a core part of the story or the world that you're in. Unfortunately, what it often gets used as is a cop out. You, right. you get this like story that's all crafted and then all of a sudden the end it's like actually but we just time traveled the whole time and we were manipulating things as it was going and it's all fine haha like that is a terrible use of of time travel harry potter i might be looking at you and (laughs) i like the fact that that is not part of this world because brandon can work in complexity in his world without having to go there you open a hugely complex can of worms if you bring in time travel and the fact that we have a world that is so dense and detailed without time travel, impressive. Well, and I think it's also just straight up necessary for the way Brandon Sanderson approaches this, because in the the way he approaches the Cosmere is there is a good answer for everything you're you're asking. And if right. then and if twenty books down the down the road I introduce the time turner then your questions become, well, then why didn't Hoy just use the time turner to go back to the way of Kings, blah, blah, blah. You know, it, 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 it's yep. very, I think it's very good of Sanderson to say, this is off the table. You don't need to theorize about this. Okay. I'm going to quick fire um, the last of these Q and a stuff. And then we can talk about the, the climax in chapter seven to, to close us out here. Um, so just everything else that was on the Q and a, I'm going to go through these pretty quickly and you guys can chime in. One of the first questions he got was Brandon, what the heck is happening with the Fibonacci sequence? And we talked about this briefly last year, but Elliot, do you want to talk about the Fibonacci sequence at all and how it appears here? Yes. The the Fibonacci sequence is a mathematical 
sequence of numbers that you can get to by counting up from zero and every number every number that's the next one you move to is the sum of the previous two. So it goes one, one, two, because two is the sum of one and one, then three, then five, it's the sum of two and three, eight, 13, and it gets pretty big after that. It seems kind of random at first when you're just kind of reading numbers on a page, but you can use the Fibonacci sequence to do some really fascinating things. It shows up in nature a lot. It's a more natural version of math. When, when you and I think of math, we think of all right angles and perfect thirds and things like that. Nature doesn't really do that. Nature does do the Fibonacci sequence. And so the Fibonacci sequence is often referred to as like the math of beauty. There's, there's things you can do with the Fibonacci sequence that just look beautiful and you can't explain why. It just looks perfect when you look at it. And so I think that's what Brandon is kind of tapping into here is this, this art, this beauty and the math behind it. Or maybe it's Hoyd that likes the math behind it specifically. That's kind of my theory on it. But yeah, Fibonacci sequence, very fascinating, very above my head. That's about as, as much as I know. I think it's interesting that it is used with virtuosity um, and how that is going to incorporate into Yumi's religion um, specifically. We'll see how that pans out. Um, I, I, I'm curious on that. I wanted that I wanted to highlight something that was interesting to me and was brought up in the Q&A. And somebody asked, there seems to be something off about the energy of Yumi and Painter by the end of these chapters. Both of them have a cognitive realm experience, and both of them seem to be extremely drained, like physically drained, where Yumi has stacked her rocks, and then she can't even sit up straight, and then uh, Painter encounters the actual, like, the, the full-on nightmare, and then can't even, like, get back to his apartment. He's so, he's so exhausted. And the, the person in the Q&A highlighted pewter drag as a comparison as more than like stormlight um fatigue because it kaladin um is drained a lot when he's when he uses stormlight but it, it's never like super debilitating like he can still function um but this seems to be more like and then vin found a sleeping bag and pass out is For like is, a week yeah. right um and so that's what and Brandon Sanderson basically said, yes, there's something interesting happening with energy levels on these two planets. Um, interesting spot. You guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I feel like I might have more if I'd read more Mistborn. I've only mm -hmm. read one Mistborn book, but one of the key differences in the magic systems there between Stormlight and Roshar is that a a radiant, a night radiant, expends stormlight or investiture to do their magic. A alamancer is spending their metal. The ferrochemist is spending their own energy. And so the differences between those are all interesting and important. And I'm trying to figure out, okay, magic system on this planet, what are we spending? What's the currency of the magic? Right. And I don't know if, if we know enough about that yet, but it does seem to be draining physically on both of them. I did know. Uh, I'm thinking through this logically as well. So thinking of Stormlight, thinking of, we'll, we'll use Kaladin as the example. He uses Stormlight and lashes, flies, um, all these things. And it's like, Things his body couldn't, like the 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 storm, his body is not like lifting things that could not be lifted by a human, right? Like he can lash things, he can use that to like move objects and whatnot. Um, but his body is not necessarily exerting more physical strength than it should, right? Right. 
Um, the Stormlight is, is doing the lifting. Yes, he is going to be exhausted because he is still physically like fighting, but he is still like using his body to fight, right? Whereas Alamancy using pewter, they're like using the metal to like basically force their body into doing things it shouldn't. Right. You're not supposed to be able to run for 48 hours straight at um unheard of physical speeds, right? And so afterwards, it's like you you fall, you pass out because your body literally like is not supposed to be doing that. Like you can't run for 48 hours like that, you know? And so, so does that mean that this is somewhere between the two? But we didn't see like physical exertion. If I'm using that example, we didn't really see like is it emotional exhaustion? I wonder if it's artistic exhaustion. exhaustion. Maybe so. Yeah, it could. It could be like that's actually a really good, um, really good and... example. If that is what we're seeing here with virtuosity, um, because Yumi comes out and she's like totally like drained. Uh, Painter is totally drained, but we do know specifically that Painter did not use Investiture, right? That's the one thing that seems odd to me here, is if he's not using Investiture, why is he so exhausted? And another little part of this is Painter never has inspiration. He always uses bamboo. So I wonder if he's always, and that's why... I wonder if he's always in this constant low energy state because he doesn't have the artistic inspiration. Interesting that art, like spending art and I, I don't know. That, that's half a thought. The word I might add in there too is focus. They both went through a period where they had to focus intensely on a specific thing. I wonder if that was part of the expending of the artistry within them or in painter's case. Yeah. But a, a somewhat failure to let out that artistry. He's got a block. Hmm. Which I understand. I can fully see that it's just in this specific case. Why is he so like physically exhausted afterwards then? I mean, understand if it's like there's a block or things like that, but like if we're talking about exhaustion from using investiture, whether that's focus or like whatever, any capacity, like something has to be like kind of used up in order to feel that exhaustion, right? Is it just attempting to use something? Like, was he, was he like, tr we don't know it, but like, was he trying to use investiture and couldn't and like exhausted himself in some way, maybe unintentionally hmm. or, or what? Uh, that's the piece that feels odd to me, which it is like in my head, like while reading through this as the story, like in chapter seven, right? I don't know if we want to get there, but, but it, it makes kind of sense because he kind of like, he, he just passes out and wakes up elsewhere and so i'm thinking it's like maybe something external in that case something kind of yep. makes him fall over sure another question that brandon received is is painter splitting spirits when he paints them like yumi is when she's crafting them and he uh brandon gave a raffo on that one Another thing that was discussed on the live stream that I actually want to get to your guys' info on is Hoyd's voice distracting. Is second person distracting for you? Because we've never had this before in, in a Cosmere work. Is is Hoyd's voice narrating taking away from the story or adding for you? Or neither? Okay, I, I will actually say for the first time listening to an audiobook... I felt like there were elements in here, like like quips or little lines that didn't quite feel like they landed right or, or were quite in place. I didn't know if it was maybe... I mean, I was listening to Brandon Sanderson at Narrate. It genuinely could have been that he, like the delivery wasn't like super seamless. Mm -hmm. It could have been... It almost felt like it was 
not 100% edited down smooth. Um, it could have been how he was reading it. It could have been maybe it will the wording will be tweaked a little bit for the actual released book. Or or maybe it is Hoyd's narration. I'm not sure. But something felt a little bit off to me, and so it might be attributed to this. I I enjoy it just because it's fairly similar to the way my brain works, which if you've listened to more than two of our podcast episodes, you've probably picked up on this. I love I love to just say, pause on that while I tangent over here for something vaguely related and then come back and pick up where I left off. That's how my brain works. It's exactly how Hoyt is narrating the story as well. It it works for me. So something that he talked about on the um on the live stream is Brandon Sanderson said, I have never seen my beta readers so split on a topic. All of his beta readers usually can come to a consensus, but he's like, they are they are split 50-50 on if Hoyd is distracting or if Hoyd is contributing to this this literature piece. And I thought that was so funny because I, I and I think it just comes down to if you like Hoyd, you will like the interjections. And if you don't like Hoyd, you want him to get out of the way. That's a that's a good point. I, I bet it would be like that. I, I'm really curious to see how it comes into play throughout the whole story. That yeah. is what, I feel like I'm kind of throwing a lot of stuff at the, ooh, I don't actually know what happens yet right. window, which I feel like is a little bit unfair for me, like, talking on this podcast right now. But that is one that I'm genuinely, like, I mean, I don't feel like it's caused any major problems right now, but it's made things feel slightly weird. I do love Hoyd, so... We'll we'll see where that. I I just kind of need more time, I guess, to see where that goes. Yeah, it definitely lends a very lighthearted and almost joking element to the story, which might bother me if we try to go very serious places with this story. Right. If the if the story tries to go a serious place and Hoyt is still cracking jokes along the way, that might start to bother me. But. I'm with you, Paul. Well, let's see where this goes. I, I actually really like that you said that because if this was a Stormlight book, I would have issues with it. But I'm not approaching this as if it was a Stormlight book. So I currently I have no issues. But if it does turn into and then, you know, Painter had this epic moment and blah, 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 blah. And then design showed up and blah, blah, blah. You know, like if 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 there's random, which I don't assume that will happen, but if it does go super epic and they're still Hoy jokes, yes, I would agree that that would be an issue. Currently it is not for me, but we'll see how it goes. A couple more questions. He, uh, he got the high on lines colors are two of three colors used in digital printers. The third is yellow. Is this a coincidence? And if it's not, what happened to yellow? And Brandon Sanderson gave that one a raffo. He didn't answer that one. So that there might be some substance there. That's actually really funny, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent connection. Another question. Nightmares seem to be more susceptible than Spren to perception change because they do not have a direct shard overseeing them. Is that correct? And Sanderson said, yes, that's correct. And then follow-up question, can you paint other invested entities such as Spren, Cognitive Shadows, and Fused, and bind them as a painting? And Brandon Sanderson said, uh, theoretically possible, yes, but the less tethered they are to their shard, the better. And I would assume, kind of pulling that thread further, I mean, Roshar, we've got three shards right going on there and so your odds of of grabbing any random invested entity and and trying to pull it away from a shard and and bind it to something you're trying to do may be really difficult whereas here on this planet much less so okay i'll follow that train of thought what i got most out of it was somebody should take a paint and canvas to threnody because Threnody seems to be ah. prime territory for binding crazy spirits. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like you could really tame Threnody quite well with a paintbrush. So 
that's an interesting one. Second, uh, another one. Can you Nahel bond a nightmare? And Brandon Sanderson said, this is theoretically possible, yes. Cool. All right. Good for the people who want to do that, I guess. I Yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> is it a coincidence that the two colors of the Heon lines, teal and magenta, are the two same colors as else callers and light weavers, the two radiants who can light weave? And Brandon Sanderson said, yes, that's a coincidence. That was not intentional. At least we have that clarification. Uh, we already did the Nightblood one. He did not say that it was a coincidence that it's the same colors found in your inkjet printer. Correct. <laughs> um, and then the, the last one was, will we ever find out who Hoyt is talking to in the text? And Sanderson said, don't waste your time trying to figure it out. I decide, I considered including an epilogue of Hoyd talking to whoever he's talking to, I decided not to, and it is not worth your time trying to figure it out. So that that was the that was the last one I wrote down. I I appreciate Brandon Sanderson's directness there with that answer. Like it's not worth your time. I thought about including it, but it's not worth your time. But if that's the case, just say who it was, maybe. Like in my head, I'm like, just say who it that's was because like. It's not worth our time, but now I want to know. You know, now I just want to know, even though it makes no has. I'm sure it has no significance. I just want to know who he's talking to, and if and that's that my hope deal, as well. Is I and I I hope he'll you know just disclose that on you know a a Q and A at some point in the future of you know who is Hoy talking to. I I do hope he'll answer that at some point, but he's just being very explicit that it's not in the text. Okay. Do you guys want to talk about the implications of Chapter 7 and how it leaves us? What are your thoughts on a body swap story? Are you super excited to go into Part 2 here? Or what What are our thoughts moving forward? As a story element, I'm I'm excited to see what happens because we've seen the stark differences between the worlds and the characters. So just from a like a story enjoyment point, I think it'll be really amusing, really fun. Um, I'm not like, oh my gosh, that's insane! Like I don't know what to think, you know. Like it's part one, you know. Like uh, it, it set it sets up like a nice, fun story beginning, and I'm excited for that. I am, I'm excited for the shape of the story after reading Brandon's notes at the end of the page. If you had just told me Brandon's writing a, a, a body swap story, I'd be like, okay. But the way he describes it is actually intriguing because he, he says specifically in his notes, he wants to focus on the life swap, not the body swap side of it. It's right. not that painter is going to be in Yumi's body. It's that Painter will still feel like he's Painter. He'll just be living Yumi's life. Right. Everyone else will see Yumi, but he's still Painter. And so that gets around, and just the setting of it all too, with the separate planets and all, it's around the really cringy elements of body swap that come about sometimes in like fantasy TV series and things like that. Where you just it, it just feeds into these like you know awkward scenarios where people are talking to someone and they're really talking to their other friend and they say nasty things about them and it's just like okay yeah teenage drama. This is not where it seems like this is heading. This seems like it's heading for a much more existential. How do I learn to understand someone else's life and walk a mile in their shoes and what can I learn by doing so? I, I think this could be a really cool story. And I'm excited for it. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. I'm I'm really interested to see if he delves into, which I assume I I would predict that he will, um, given the setup that we've just received, the difference between the religions, um, or the religion and lack of, yes. um, because I I think when we get to Yumi waking up as painter, she is going to immediately have an existential crisis of what the heck is my purpose if not a, a religion, right? Like, 
Yeah. And there seems to be like a consistent dialogue between Yumi and Painter moving forward. I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but I'm, I'm very curious to, um, to from Yumi's side specifically on how she copes with day-to-day life of you, you paint this nightmare and that is your life. So uh, I'm also very excited here. And last but not Trevor, least, you said, go, go ahead. I, I, are you are you going this direction? I was to make sure you got to your theory because yes. you told us earlier that you had a a crazy theory that you were excited about. I wanted to make sure we got there. Last but not least, the end of chapter six and the end of chapter seven, Yumi and Painter seem to wake up in this, or Painter wakes up on Yumi's planet. I don't I'm not sure where Yumi goes, but um, Yumi gets a dialogue with something. She assumes it's a spirit from down below quote unquote. And um she has a dialogue and then the 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 spirit asks her for a boon and says free us. Right? Us mm-hmm, the plural? Yeah. I think so. And here's here's my crazy theory. I think the planet itself is talking to her. The the spren for lack of a better term of the planet is talking to her and us refers to Yumi's planet and painter's planet and freeing us would reconjoin those spirits back into one because the, the whole part of part one for Yumi is splitting these spirits into light bulb and dark bulb and the dark bulb just sits there and the, the villagers use the light bulb or that um, they they have like little hovercraft like plateaus as well. I, I don't know. There, there, there's some weird stuff happening, but I I assume that the planet has been split at like, and I'm not sure like the physics implications of all of that, but I assume that his end goal here is reunifying the planets of uh, that virtuosity split when when splintering herself. I'm that there's lots of different implications there that I have no answers for you for, but I that is my big prediction is that the planet itself is talking to Yumi and wants to be reunited with planet two. I like the theory a lot, I think it fits in with this whole opposites theme that we very much started on. Everything seems to have an opposite and reunifying. The opposites might be the end goal of our story here that could play into the free us. So I, I can see it. I'm following. It's either unifying or it's going to be like a Goldilocks story where they find the planet that's not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> and they find one that's just right. right. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I think that's a pretty cool that's theory. That's where the I yellow have. went. That's yellow, exactly. Well, but then that would mean that. Well, the Yumi's planet is just like nothing, isn't it? Or maybe Yumi's planet has the yellow. Maybe she's yellow. Who who knows? Maybe she's gonna go to Peter's planet and find the yellow. Stay tuned for <laughs> wherever the heck we find the color yellow. We have to fix our digital printers. Story. Exactly. Yeah. Cannot go around. Um. I don't know. I'm sitting here and just trying to disprove your theory. I feel like I don't know enough to to say one way or the other. It's just a cool prediction. I I heard please free us and thought of something slightly different though. I had flashbacks to Adolin and Maya and our dead eye sprint. Okay. Who are getting used as sharp blades and how it takes us three and a half books to discover that that's not what those random beings would like to be used as, that that's a captivity, that that's a unpleasant thing for them. And so to have a spirit kind of reach out in the please free us, I thought of those spirits that Yumi just like bound in a sense into Mm -hmm. these devices that she's handing out to all of the people. I was I was seeing parallels in the whole they're just using these devices to 
power their everyday lives to do farming better, to be able to see at night when it's dark. But what if this is another example of they're not understanding what they're doing and what they think is just creating a nightlight is actually imprisoning a spren-like being that would rather not be imprisoned. Be really curious to see Navani be a fly on the wall for Yumi's. Uh, oh yeah, for for Yumi's little ritual there, and what Navani could figure out. That'd be that'd be crazy. So, just to clarify, also, so at the end of the story, we see that painter's eyes open, and we see, he he looks behind him, or at least we, as the reader, see behind him and see that that is Yumi mm-hmm. behind him. So Yumi hasn't gone anywhere yet. We just have confirmation that she will. Correct. This month. Okay. So Painter wakes up what seems to be on Yumi's planet. Like that there's a bright light and his eyes can't handle it. He sees Yumi. Yumi screams her head off. Scene ends. Um, and then in the postscript, it's we're going for a body swap story. And Yumi will switch places with Painter as well, is is the last phrase there. So, Gotcha. Okay. Do you think we'll learn how they're switching? Like, how they're... I assume we'll learn, like, how they travel, right? Or maybe that's the end of the book, because they find their way each... They find their way back home? Yeah. I, I'm also curious on the um, mechanics of what just happened. Somebody picked up their cognitive realm spheres and went yeah exactly anything else gentlemen actually have a just a little bit of a note to leave us on related to that of how are they how are they getting where they're going you you mentioned a little earlier the the death rattle sounding things that were referencing the arrival of the nightmares yeah you know where it said the the raining the the blood of a dying god one of those specifically says the nightmares came from the sky. And I thought of that in the very last words of the of the book, where it says that where where painter basically gets sucked off of his planet onto the other. It says he stumbled to the balcony looking out at the star. Then he heard something odd, a rushing sound, like water. He looked up. Something came from the sky and hit him hard all went black it's almost like that maybe interaction with a shard that created all of this is sort of what's happening again here to painter as he something from the sky comes down and snatches him and takes him off to this other planet it's I don't know I'm going to look for more information to see if I can tie those together more but I almost wonder if it's like the remnants of a shard or what a rather large splinter of a shard who is acting here trying to get help or maybe it's not a positive thing i don't know i just i saw some similarities there real quick before we go i i I know i'm going to be labeled as mercy obsessed but um i i have it i have a crazy theory that i was thinking about as i was dozing off last night of Virtuosity is dead and gone. What if there's a shard that has arrived to try to re, like, fi- fix the scene, and that's who's talking to, um, or that that's who's snatching Painter and you know setting this all up, um. And the first one that I thought of was was Mercy, but anyway, um, we we don't have to pull that thread too hard. You are Mercy obsessed. I'll say it. <laughs> all the but but I, I will also add that I am mildly mercy obsessed too. I just haven't been saying it. I think it sounds super cool. Alright. Let us reconvene next week with the full published book. Um, I hope that the episode will come out on Tuesday. It may come out a little bit later because we may need more time to record it. Um, but we're going to try to get into a good rhythm with Yumi and the Nightmare Painter. Thanks for joining me, Paul and Elliot. See ya. See ya.